Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. schedule is the first road course race of the year. We are headed to the West Coast where the 12 turns of Sonoma can be quite the challenge for the drivers and their teams. Last year, Tony Stewart pulled off the dramatic victory, but who will be drinking from the champion's goblet this time? Racing in wine country. Hello and welcome to NASCAR America. Chris Devota here in our NBC Sports studios. Joined today from Burton's Garage in North Carolina by drivers Jeff Burton and Greg Biffle. Gentlemen, it's the first day of summer, so I'm sorry we're not poolside, but as drivers, what would seeing this race, Sonoma on the calendar, signify for you? Jeff? Uh, trouble. <laughs> that, was, that was how it worked out for me, Greg. I don't know how it worked out for you all the time, but... I always seem to run really well and then at the end of the race have trouble. So I kind of like going to Sonoma because it was a lot of fun to do, but I never had much success. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, I like the change. So I like doing something different. You know, you've been on those ovals, ovals, ovals. So I always loved um, the road racing, but in, in the challenge of it, that's what I liked. And it's a beautiful uh, area the, of the country to go to and a little wine tasting, some nice dinners. But uh on Sunday, it's all about uh, staying on the track, keeping the brakes and the transmission in it. We're going to be talking about that road course quite a bit over the next 90 minutes. The NASCAR Cup Series has been racing at Sonoma for 28 years. And in that span, there have been many memorable moments, starting with the inaugural race in 1989. Now closing in very tightly on Rudd into turn number three, turn number four. Great proud of you, pal. 
Tony Stewart ensuring himself a playoff berth at Sonoma last June. And as the Cup Series returns there this weekend, nine drivers have locked into the postseason with victories. Could one of the seven remaining spots be claimed on Sunday? So I'm going to ask you guys, not just who needs it most, but who stands the best chance of maximizing this race to their benefit? Well, I personally think we should start looking at the people that haven't won races yet because uh, as this year has gone on, we've had so many winners that have moved themselves already into the playoffs that there are a lot of guys that are really good road racers that need a win. Uh, it's starting to get really, really difficult to get yourself in by points. So I, my first look would be guys that have run well on road courses that don't have wins. Absolutely. And, you know, one that comes to mind is uh, Denny Hamlin racing Tony Stewart at the end last year. So you know that that team's going to be strong. You know, Kyle Busch, uh, you know, there's just there's, there's Kevin Harvick. There's a whole list of names right there. The guys have a one. Then you have the outsiders, right, that, that could come in there and have uh, not run so good this season but have a chance to run well there. Yeah, I think two, two drivers that, that are really good road racers that haven't won this year that people don't really think of great road racers, but if you wa- really watch them, Jamie McMurray and Clint Boyer, both of those guys can get it done. Uh, Jamie McMurray sat on some poles. Uh, Clint Boyer's run really well, and these are two drivers that need to win. And, there's always A.J. Amendinger. We cannot forget him. You know, that's a team that we saw a couple years ago. They put all of their effort into road courses. They put all of their effort into going to test, going to make sure they give everything they could because they knew that was their best shot. And so can they parlay A.J.'s uh, – he's really, really good. Can they take his, uh, his ability on the road courses and match that with the right pit stops, the right strategy? We've seen this team have mechanical issues – and we've seen them not really be able to match the speed that they had a couple years ago. They're going to have to bring some speed for A.J. to take advantage of it. But, you know, there's a guy that Sonoma and at Watkins Lynn you cannot count out. I can't wait to see Daniel Suarez, which in a good race car, Gibbs car, has the notes from the 11 from last year and has spent a lot of time road racing in Mexico. So he could be a surprise this weekend being right up there up front. And, and that's one thing. You mentioned Daniel Suarez as a, as a rookie driver, but – uh, we were talking earlier, we remember going to Sonoma as young race car drivers and really wide-eyed, like, oh, my goodness, what are we getting into? So think about guys that don't have a lot of road course experience. You know, uh, you Chase Elliott, yeah. uh, Ryan Blaney, those guys, you know, they're in the position, Ryan Blaney's in a position where he can go to Sonoma and have a good time. Right. He can go and say, you know what, we're here to learn, we got to yeah. win. But Chase Elliott, he's not in that same situation. Chase Elliott is, you know, he's going to have to, at this point, point race his way in he can't afford a bad finish at Sonoma. And Sonoma's a place where you can have bad finishes. So, you know, you just have different agendas and, and, and based on whether you have that win or not. You go to Sonoma with that win, it's wine tasting. Yeah. It's going out having a good time. Yeah. It's going on the racetrack, giving 100%, <laughs> right? It's, it's giving all you have. But the consequence of a bad day isn't like it is for these guys that don't have wins. For those guys that don't have wins, it is all business. And it's very, very stressful. So it's just two different agendas based on whether you have that win or not. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back real quickly, though. You mentioned a name, Clint Boyer. Greg, how does a guy who, like you said, maybe we don't really see as a, as a road course guy become someone who's so good on the road courses? Maybe even like a Kevin Harvick. You know, I asked the same question. You know, I, I ran, you know, average or a little above average on road courses. And, and when did Clint Boyer become a great road racer? Uh, you know, he came out and won that uh, race and ran very good in the 15 car. Uh, 
you know, and kind of proved himself. I think you take any driver and put him in a good car in a good situation. Listen, you got 40 of the best drivers in these cars. And so you, you give them track position, you give them a good race car and tires, and, and there's any number of those guys that can go out there and win this race. And, and you know, Clint Boyer's one of them. He's, he's proved it uh, that he's a good road racer. Yeah, I, I, think, I think when you're trying to become a good road racer, having a teammate that's a good road racer is, is a major help. And if you go back in time and you think about Clint Boyer and, and Kevin Harvick being teammates and, and going to, to VIR, Virginia International Raceway, and testing and being able to look at data, uh, going to racetracks and testing and, and look at another driver's data, that is so valuable when you're trying to learn to be a good road racer. And, yeah. and, but immediately with Clint, like especially at Sonoma, more at Sonoma than at Watkins Glen, uh, he had speed at Sonoma, uh, and, yes. and that came pretty quickly. So it's, 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 it's always a development. You know, you're not going to come into the series as a great road racer if you don't have a lot of experience. You have to be willing to learn and work and put effort into it, and Clint did that. How much pressure is Kyle Busch putting on himself knowing that he's going to a track where he has won before and has been so close to that first win this season? Well, I think it's my opinion that because they're running well – the pressure is less. The pressure is to win as opposed to run well. And that's two different pressures. So there's no question that Kyle Busch, in my opinion, is putting pressure not only on himself but on everybody around him to execute so they can get that win. But that's a different pressure than they had, say, six weeks ago when they weren't showing the speed they have now. So I think at that point it was the pressure to say, hey, man, we got to get in a position where we're running well enough to win. Now they have the speed. Uh, now it's about trying to execute. Yeah, I think that you can overanalyze. You can be the driver. You know, okay, you're right, Jeff. We do have fast cars now. We're running well. I got to take advantage of this. I got to close the deal. I have to win races. We need to win as a team. And you can overthink that and, and run too hard and too much pressure and run your tires off or your brakes off and make those mistakes and not put yourself in position to win. You know, you, you can do that now. It can work the other way going, okay, now I have no excuses. I have to win now because our cars are running good and end up making small mistakes, tiny mistakes that'll keep you out of victory lane because you're trying too hard. Just let it be natural and go out there and run good. Yeah, when, when you, when you, it's hard, it's hard to explain, but as a driver, when you have fast race cars, it's just go do your job and don't think about winning. Right. Right. If that's you start right. thinking about the end, the, the, what the end result is, that's when you get in trouble. If you do all the things it takes to get to the end result, then eventually you'll get there. And when you know, Greg said it really well, when you start thinking about that win more than the technique it takes to make the car go fast and all the things you need to do, you don't think about lap 100 on lap 10. You think about lap 11. And, and that's where you push too hard and get yourself in trouble. Can I just say, am I the only one who thinks it's wrong that we are talking all about wine country and none of us have wine? I don't, unless there's wine. Is there wine in Burton's Hey, garage? I don't know. I don't. We I, have some here. Yeah, I don't know I about you. Say, I, I hate that you don't, but we're full here. Huh. Now I see who got the raw end of this deal. Well, we are just getting started. Coming up, pretty sure that by 10 a.m., Jamie McMurray had already done more than most of us today. Dave Burns visits with the driver who was literally on the move this morning. Plus... 
The water cooler talk this week is centered around whether bad blood still exists in the sport. And if it does, who is circling the waters? This conversation could get interesting, especially if they have wine. And tonight, it's the start of a new era as hockey's newest team makes its first draft picks. Well, we're going to ask our guys to draft their dream team using today's pool of drivers. Pool, another reference to summer. We're just heating up. Some exciting news starting July 5th. Every Wednesday, NASCAR America will be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Each show will have all of our drivers along with a current Cup or Xfinity driver. So that's a, a Jeff, a Kyle, a Dale, plus at least one more. So keep an eye out starting July 5th. Last night, Kyle Larson did it again, continuing his streak with sprint car success. This time he was in Ohio winning the feature in the All-Star Circuit of Champions race at Sharon Speedway. Larson has now posted four wins in eight days, three wins in a sprint car, and of course his cup win Sunday at Michigan. And Larson is certainly enjoying this stretch of success. Here are a couple of his tweets from the last couple of nights. Altogether, he's got 10 wins this season in and out of NASCAR. Well, Kyle Larson has always raced every kind of car, every chance he can get. Lately, his teammate, Jamie McMurray, has been doing some extra racing, too. But his has been with two wheels and his feet. Jamie slowed down just long enough today to talk with our Dave Burns. Well, the top five at Michigan, Jamie called a good recovery after the fiery Pocono finish. So coming off of that, what is that telling you right now about the one team? Well, we have run, we've run well basically at every race, uh, with the exception of Martinsville when uh, we cut a tire down and then the, the brake failure at Pocono. Really, every single week we've had uh, a, a great car, and, and, and I mean, it, uh, it's been a great year so far. Your teammate couldn't be hotter right now. How are you guys feeding off of the 42 success? Well, they, I mean, everything they do is going the right direction. It, it, I, I almost laugh in practice because everything they change is better. And, and for most people, the weekends are about finding just one or two things that are better than the setup that you unload with. Um, but those guys are really hot right now. And, uh, I mean, that's encouraging when you know you have the same equipment, uh, you know, from the same organization. Um, that's the position you want to be in. And we have some great tracks coming up for me. And uh, we did a, a tire test at Kentucky. And Sonoma's been a, a really good track for me. So, I mean, it's encouraging to see how they're running and knowing that we have the same equipment. Does it put more fight in you? No, I mean, you can't try any harder than what you do anyway when you get to the racetrack. Um, you know, it's, it's nice to, uh, to, to know that that car is quick every week and to kind of know the setup they have. And, you know, as, if, if you were Jimmy Johnson's crew, or teammate, um, in the years that they would win all those races, you always kind of wonder, like, well, what do they have? And the fact that you already kind of know what the quickest car every single weekend of the track has, um, you know that there's no magic there. There's not just one, one single thing they're doing that, that is making that happen. Kyle is just on an amazing streak right now, and, and that whole team is really confident. You seem to be good in the points. How do you see it right now as far as getting the playoffs go? Well, I mean, we're if it was regular points, we're really good. Um, with the exception of the 42 and 78, the third through like eighth or ninth is pretty tight. Um, I mean, I think you have to win to make the chase. I, I don't. Uh, I think there's a chance you could be fifth or sixth in points and possibly miss the chase. Um, there's quite a few really good cars that haven't won yet this year, and uh, the 18 obviously could have won the last three races, um, with the exception of the, the, the cautions fell. Um, but, you know, we've been really solid, but I think that we're going to have to win in order to get in the chase. You mentioned the 42 and the 78. 
those stage points, they are sorry, the playoff points that they're packing up. Are you guys looking at that now and going, oh, what an advantage for them, and man, i got to get some? Well, I mean, the, look, the, uh, the way the stage racing has worked out, um, it, it really benefits the people that run well. And the 78 and the 42 have, have run the, they've qualified the best, and they've run the best throughout all the stages. Um, and when they, those guys don't have any issues, it, uh, I mean, they just stack on the points at the end of, at the, end of the race. You know, we, we had some races earlier in the year that we ran fourth or fifth in the first two stages and maybe finished 11th or 12th. And even though that day doesn't feel as good, um, it's more points than we got at Michigan running fifth. So, um, and the stage points can add up quick. And so it's not like you are thinking of changing your strategy. You just have to be as fast as them, right? Yeah, you can't do anything different. I mean, we race every race to, and every stage to get the most points that you can. Um, and everybody's doing that. It's a little different when you watch the, the truck races or the Xfinity races because you traditionally have people in there that aren't racing for points, and so their strategy is a little bit different. But everybody in Cup has the same goal, and, um, and everyone's on kind of the same plan. The competition is so tight. Let's talk a little Sonoma. You've been on the pole three times there, and on the front row, I think, a fourth time, too. So how do you get that win at Sonoma, and why is that so challenging? Well, I wish I knew exactly how to get it. Um, we have uh, we've run really well there. For some reason, Sonoma has has historically been a place that uh, I think I ran out of fuel there, leading one year um, on the last lap, and I've uh, had a few flat tires while leading or running second or third. But that's been a great track, and for me, that's one of the tracks that I think of every single year that we can win at. The fact that uh, our cars have been so good this year at so many different type tracks. Um, we'll be we'll be in contention to win this weekend, and I'm looking forward to getting there. And you're doing extra special preparation. I notice you're not entered in the K&N race or anything like that. So mentally, physically, anything prepping you? No, I mean, I've watched video. I do the same thing every single week. Sonoma is somewhat unique because we only race there once a year. Um, and so, you, you you know, I pay a little more attention going into that, kind of the, you know, the transmission, the ratios, what we did maybe different this year from last year. Um, pit Road is pretty unique at Sonoma. Um, so there's a few things, but but once you watch the race back, you kind of watch qualifying back, you read through all your notes. We're here today. I'm going to have a, an hour-long meeting with the team about our plan. Um, you'll be ready to get to go and, and be prepared when you get there. Ready to go west and take on Sonoma. And interesting, that wins so very much on Jamie's mind as he goes. Yes, it is. Thanks, David. Yeah, Jamie's so humble. He talked about preparation. He ran a half marathon this morning with a couple of his team guys. McMurray and Larson are at the center of Chip Ganassi Racing's impressive season. McMurray's still looking to get into victory lane, but he's consistently earned stage points twice this season. He's earned, as you heard, more than 40 points in a race, including a 46-point showing at Texas. Well, Greg and Jeff, you both had a front row seat for the rise of Jamie Mack. It was in 2002 when Ganassi put Jamie in a car for the injured Sterling Marlin. He went on to win at Charlotte in just his second cup start. He's known for winning on the big stages, Daytona, the Brickyard, Rolex 24. Greg, is he the best driver getting the least amount of respect right now? You know, I look at Jamie and I see a con very consistent driver. I was a teammate with him over at uh, Roush Fenway for, for many years. And Jamie is always right there you know he's right there and the one thing I see that's a lot different between him and Kyle Larson is and it was that way at Roush Fenway Jamie doesn't necessarily drive a real loose race car he likes a car to feel you know planted in the racetrack and have some feel on that front steering wheel Kyle Larson on the other hand I've watched Kyle Larson and you can see Kyle Larson drive a very very loose race car I've seen Kyle Larson give away two wins this year 
because he was a little bit too loose because that's the way he likes to drive his race car. That's the way I always like to drive a race car. And so I see a little bit different drivers there, a little bit different setup. That's probably why you see Jamie not in victory lane and Kyle Larson in victory lane, but Jamie definitely a very consistent driver, capable of winning over there at Chip Ganassi. I just think that they need to tweak that Kyle Larson setup to where it feels good under Jamie. Yeah, I think the thing about Jamie, too, is I think he's, you know, such a good person to work with. You know, he gets along so well with everybody. And and he genuinely, I mean, don't get me wrong, he wants to win rather than Kyle Larson winning, but he genuinely is happy that Kyle Larson and Chip Ganassi with that one, with, 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 uh, with Kyle are winning races. Yeah. And that's not always the case. Many times you have a teammate that's having more success than the others, and, and the, the teammates that aren't having success don't feel very good about it. And I think Jamie's kind of the opposite of that. He He's optimistic. He feels good. He's glad Ganassi's winning races. He knows that's going to help him as well. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that go into building a race team, and one of the things that goes into it is getting the right group of drivers together that work well. And so Jamie's a really good race car driver, but he's, a, he's probably a great teammate, and he's somebody that everybody likes, and he gets along, he puts effort into it. Uh, so there's, you know, he's a really good fit with a young driver that's this hot, that, you know, Jamie's not jealous. Jamie's not, doesn't right. have that in his personality, and that's, that's really important in this situation because it might switch Yeah. where Jamie's beating Kyle. And then once Jamie's beating Kyle, Jamie's also not the kind of guy that's going to be rubbing it in Kyle's face. So those, you know, that, that's, that's a really good quality to have in a teammate. And look, the thing about uh, Kyle winning, Jamie's running right there in the top five. Now, we're not talking about Kyle Larson winning at Michigan and Jamie ran 16th. Right. That just isn't the right. case. So, you know, Jamie's right there at, at all those wins that Kyle Larson's had. So, uh, knocking on the door, both those guys. Yeah, Jamie provides a great sense of perspective and a, a good work-life balance. Those are great points. You know, for years, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch have mixed it up on the track. With rivalries, a hot topic. Is theirs the best in the sport right now? We will talk about that next on NASCAR America. The world of sports has had its share of great rivalries. In boxing, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier met three times in the 1970s. Ali won two of the fights, including their final meeting dubbed the Thrilla in Manila. In basketball, no other rivalry has more history than the Celtics and the Lakers. These teams have met 12 times in the NBA Finals. Duke-North Carolina rivalry in college basketball dates back to 1920, has produced its share of memorable moments. Jeff Burton likes some of those. And the mother of all sports rivalries comes from baseball, the New York Yankees against the Boston Red Sox. Well, all rivalries have a beginning. In a 2010 Xfinity Series race at Bristol, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch fought for the lead. Keselowski got into Busch, and Busch would return the favor before going on to win. So the next night, during driver intros for the cup race, Kozlowski told the world exactly what he thought. Brad Kozlowski, driver of the Penske Racing Dodge. Kyle Busch is an ass. One of the classic moments in this past Saturday in the Xfinity Series race at Michigan, the latest chapter what seems to be NASCAR's biggest rivalry was written just after the green flag, Keselowski and Bush collided. Bush was sent spinning. Well, the next morning, Keselowski summed up the appeal of competition between himself and Bush during FS1's pre-race telecast. I understand it gives everybody something to talk about. 
and uh, I enjoy being a part of the sport. I enjoy watching the rivalries, not necessarily being a part of them. But uh, when you got two guys that you know are in great teams, great cars, that are capable of running up front, things are going to happen, and sometimes that doesn't settle so well. And this topic was further fueled by a couple of articles that were written on the subject this week. One in USA Today, in part by saying rivalries don't exist in the sport. Another on Yahoo Sports, basically, refuting it. So my question, I guess, is a two-parter. Are rivalries needed? And Jeff, if so, is Kozlowski and Kyle Busch the best one going? Well, Crystal, what's needed is close competition. And, and, and close battles for wins and close battles for position on the racetrack, which inevitably lead to rivalries. So you can't have the second without the first. And, and I think everybody puts so much emphasis on, you know, what is the next rivalry or what is the current rivalry. Uh, sometimes we miss it. It's, it's standing right in front of us. And that's a little bit of what's happened today is that, you know, these two drivers have gone at it. Uh, two very aggressive drivers. They go at it. They go for position. I think, uh, you know, Brad said it very well. When you have two car, two drivers and fast race cars competing on the same racetrack, you're going to have these things that happen. And and so, the stage racing, the 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 competition this year has certainly been better than what we've seen in the past, and that has created some of these moments. So, uh, the one difference I think that when people define rivalries, I think it's a little more difficult in NASCAR because if you're a if you're a Duke fan. You still don't like Carolina no matter who's playing for them, right? So you, that rivalry happens no matter who the participants are. But in racing, it's driver for, for driver. And, and who the hot team is changes. And so if Kyle Larson and Joey Logano are rivals, but Joey Logano's having a year where he's running bad, it's not a rivalry because you can't compete. And so it, it's hard to have this continuation of a rivalry like we see in other ball in other stick and ball sports where you're pulling for a particular team versus a driver. So it's hard to have that consistent forever rivalry that we see in other sports. Yeah, they just fall apart because the the like you said, they're not competing against each other anymore. So you don't you don't see that where these guys are competing against against each other like the start of the Xfinity race. You know, they're, they're lined up side by side. And, and so that can, when you're racing hard with the guy next to you, you know, those things are going to happen. And then when you're, you know, you, you, the rivalry starts or you're not really happy with that guy or the way he races you, well, you're going to race him harder. I'm not going to give that guy an inch. I'm not going to breathe the throttle a little bit if he wants to move up in front of me. And, and that's what's happened. You know, I'm not going to give you an inch. I don't expect you to give me an inch. And those rivalries, you know, keep feuding. But like you said, they have to be racing against each other to continue. Yeah, and Krista, you know, the one article was written that essentially there's no personalities in NASCAR. That's a ridiculous comment. I mean, we're sitting here talking about two guys that have personalities that some people like, some people don't like. The majority of drivers in the series, matter of fact, all the drivers in the series have have pretty bold personality. Some are more reserved than others, no question. But, you know, we're sitting here having a conversation about, you know, needing rivalries and personalities, and, and I, I agree. But the, the, the personalities are in front of us. Kyle, Kyle Busch, uh, Joey Logano, uh, Kevin Harvick, go back, just go down the list. You know, that, that article was written about Kyle Larson and the fact that he was, you know, said something about going to Sonoma for the week. Well, the kid's been racing sprint cars all week. I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? So I, I just believe sometimes that people are a little bit too critical. Everybody's different. 
And if Kyle Larson's a little more reserved than Kyle Busch, that's perfect because people are people and you have to be yourself. So, you know, to say there's no personalities in this sport is a ridiculous comment. Have, have, have the drivers been made a little bit of afraid to say some things because they don't want to uh, make their sponsor mad? 100% that's true. But we've seen over the last couple of years the drivers are starting to loosen up a little bit on those things. And I, I just – this thing about no personalities, I don't buy it. I see it every week. I see the passion. I see the energy. I see the enthusiasm. That is not why the grandstands aren't full. I don't believe it for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say I agree. I want to hear your take, Greg. Well, I, I was going to say that it's obvious the guy that wrote the article has no clue. It's very obvious. He needs to come to the racetrack, sit on a pit box, and watch what happens. You know, it's just back to the whole thing. Our drivers, athletes. You know, we had a guy run his first race, passes out twice after he gets out of it. You know, this is hard to do. You know, this is not easy. And it takes a lot of emotion and passion and, and athletic ability to get in these cars and compete. And by the way, Kyle Larson, that has no personality, went out and won another race. I mean, the guy's a racer, okay? That, that, that's what it boils down to. And, 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 and Krista, you know, and, and sitting here thinking about this, too, this article was written after Michigan. And, look, we all watched Michigan. It was not, for three-quarters of the race, a barn burner race. It just wasn't. Not every race is going to be. So when you have a race that cars get stretched out, you don't have a lot of incidences, guess what? People aren't as fired up. They're not as fiery as they're going to be yeah. in a race where it's really, really contested. You know, if you interviewed LeBron James after getting beat by 25, he's pretty down. He has no personality. You interview him after he won by 25, he's all pumped up and excited. It's a different personality based on the situation. So, you know, when I watch drag racing, the little bit I watch it, every one of those guys, are they're hyper and they're excited and all this. But way less people watch that than watch NASCAR. So, yeah. And I'm not being critical of them. They have passion for their sport. They love their sport. They're fun. They're fun interviews. It's exciting to watch, but, you know, there's le way less people watch that than watch NASCAR. So this personality thing, in my opinion, has been blown completely out of proportion. Yeah, and as you guys were talking, I just realized this per the person who wrote the article obviously didn't see Kyle Larson last year uh, or two years ago, Darlington's throwback weekend, when he had the, the 42 mellow yellow shirt and the Kyle Petty uh, mustache and wig. That's some personality. Well, what about <laughs> when he won Michigan? What about yeah. when he won and the excitement and enthusiasm that came out then. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, you can't judge someone to say this is how this guy always is yeah. based off of one race. It's just not fair. Yeah. And on the rivalry conversation, too, something that jumps out at me with, with you mentioned, um, Kyle Busch and Brad Kozlowski, the fact that their styles of racing, hard racers, won't give an inch, you said, Greg. So interesting because you look at like a Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Jeff Gordon, two completely different styles. So on paper, you could kind of see why they would sort of butt heads. Kyle and Brad almost do it because they're so similar, at least in the way they race. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it, it just boils down to you get treated the way you treat people. And, and that does not change. You race other people the way they race you. And so that's why on the racetrack, you, you, you're, you're a hard racer. You race all you can. But you've got to respect your other competitors to gain that respect when, when the shoe's on the other foot. We're passing each other on each run. We'll come in, pit stop, four tires and fuel. My car's faster than the, than the 22 car now. Well, I got to get by him, and I got to get by the four car and whoever else. And now, pit stop, well, I'm a little bit too loose. And the, you're going the other way. So how you race your competitors is how you get raced. And, and you know, that is with any sport. 
And, and it makes a difference whether I'm racing Jeff Burton for a position or, or the other guy that, that doesn't give me an inch of racing room, ran me in the wall two weeks ago, and, and, and these other things. So that, that's just the way it is. Yeah, some more similarities. I mean, they're similar age. They each have a championship. They both um, own teams, give back to the sport through owning teams in smaller series. And their children, by the way, they each have one child born two days apart. So plenty of similarities <laughs> between the two. But hey, what if they date? What if Braxton and little Scarlett date someday? How about that? Oh, absolutely. That's coming. I'm, I'm so stirring. Kyle would, get, so Kyle would get the last laugh on that yeah, one. Yeah, I'm stirring the pot right. on that one. <laughs> I guess you are. You're, you're early on that, but I like your enthusiasm. I, well, you know, Kyle and Brad will be in Sonoma, but the Truck Series teams they own will be racing against each other in Iowa. Still to come, the Xfinity Series also will be on track at the Iowa Speedway. Will a young driver make his name and make a first-time trip to Victory Lane? The NHL and NBA holding their drafts this week, so we decided to have a NASCAR version. Who will go first overall and who will be a sleeper pick? And as the Cup Series heads to Sonoma, we will take a look back on the top five moments from NASCAR in Napa Valley. The green lights are on, the green flag is in the air, and William Byron by about a quarter of a car like just a fender up front. On the outside, Byron takes the lead as they race off to the back straightaway. White flag is in the air. Rookie driver William Byron leading the field to turn one. This is not over yet. Denny Hamlin closes in quickly. Here comes Hamlin. This side by side to the back straightaway. Denny Hamlin down to the inside. Play to the draft. Denny Hamlin by a half a car length. William Byron by just a small skin margin in the second spot. What a thriller. 0.012 of a second, the margin of victory. Well, Denny Hamlin edged William Byron in Saturday's Xfinity race at Michigan, but this afternoon NASCAR ruled Hamlin's win encumbered due to a post-race splitter violation on his car. Crew chief Chris Gabehart has been fined $25,000 and suspended for the next two races. Also, Cole Custer's crew chief Jeff Mendering was fined $5,000 for a lug nut violation. The Xfinity Series makes its way to Iowa Speedway on Saturday night, and with no Cup Series drivers in the field, William Byron stands a good chance to break through. He's third in points behind his junior motorsports teammates, Elliot Sadler and Justin Allgaier. I know Jeff Burton is hoping another young driver has a good day at the Iowa Speedway in the Truck Series race. Jeff, your son Harrison back in the 51. And one of Harrison's friends will be making his Xfinity Series debut. Ty Majeski hasn't just used iRacing to build his career. He has dominated. I read he's ranked number one in the world when it comes to iRacing. Do we need to keep our eyes on this young man? Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, Ty and my son Harrison, they've raced together a lot. Uh, they're more rivals than friends, I'd say. They're pretty di big different in age. But... Uh, you know, Ty Majeski is a really, really good short track racer. You know, I hear, I hear racers all the time say, you know, you, ha you have to have money. There's, there's no chances for anybody. Well, this is, a, this is an example that there are. Uh, Ty Majeski has been racing uh, super late models uh, around the country. He's won a ton of races, uh, brings 100%, gives 100%, uh, puts effort into every single race, and, and he's won, and he's won a lot. And Roush Fenway recognized that, and he's getting a shot. So, uh, you know, he is, Ty Majeski this weekend is the example that young drivers need to look up to and say, hey, look, if I do the things right, if I am successful uh, the way Ty is, I, there is a chance to get an opportunity to drive one of these cars in, at, at one of the top three levels. So it'll be fun to see him get the shot. 
Uh, he deserves it. He earned, he's earned it. And uh, it'll be fun to watch him make that adjustment into the Xfinity Series. I mean, it's great to see young guys get an opportunity. You know, William Byron, it's only a matter of time and that guy's going to be winning lots of races in the Xfinity Series. And, and I'm excited, you know, a 22-year-old here, uh, not as young. He's old compared to uh, these guys that are getting these opportunities. So I'm glad to see uh, him get this opportunity in that uh, Roush Fenway car. Yeah, as a driver, too, I mean, obviously, Greg, you had so much success in the Xfinity Series. Is this the kind of race? I mean, I know the standalone race is something like Iowa Speedway. Is this where these guys are chomping at the bit? I mean, they've circled this on their calendar. Absolutely. You know, when I raced the Xfinity Series, I always enjoyed racing with the Cup guys because you're always learning uh, from them. And I will tell you, William Byron learned something getting beat by Denny Hamlin at Michigan. He actually, you know, he did learn something. Unfortunately, he didn't win the race. But, yes, these guys do look forward to that, uh, kind of a break away from those guys and give us a chance to, uh, to go out there and show our talents. But it, it, it does help them, it, you know, sometimes in a negative way, but it does help uh, racing with those cup guys. Yeah, and, Krista, you know, I, I'm going to say something that might make some people mad because I know people get mad when a, a cup driver wins an Xfinity race over an Xfinity driver. But William Byron winning second to Denny Hamlin meant more to people watching William Byron, those people that are going to give him a ride, those people that are going to sponsor him, than if he would have won that race without cup drivers in it. That's right. I, 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 know, that, I know that people say it's not fair, you shouldn't have cup drivers in it, but we saw that Denny Hamlin beat, that beat William Byron, but William Byron was that far away from beating Denny Hamlin. And he's young, he has a lot of room to grow, there's a guy you can invest in and make have a future in, at the next level. So if he would have won that race with no cup drivers in it, he would not be looked at as favorably as running second to a really good cup driver. So everybody only thinks about the negatives. But remember, there's real positives to cup drivers being in that Xfinity race. Yeah, I think William Byron even said as much in his um, post-race interview. And I like when you try to make people mad, Jeff. Let's keep that theme going here throughout the show. <laughs> Well, it's been a lifetime goal, Krista. So. <laughs> We're going to try to live up to it. Coming up, NASCAR's youth movement has been impressive, but can they survive and thrive at Sonoma? More on the twists and turns these young stars will face when NASCAR America returns. You have to be there as another chapter in the Earnhardt legacy comes to a close. Dale Jr. takes to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time. We will have it for you Saturday, July 1st, only on NBC. Hard to believe we are just 10 days away from our coverage of the NASCAR Cup Series on NBC and here on NBCSN. Speaking of the number 10, it was back in 1985. Greg Sachs, driver of the 10 car, scored the upset victory at Daytona, beating out Bill Elliott. It was his lone Cup Series win. Before NASCAR heads to America's most southern state, the sport heads west for a stop and oh, about 12 turns in Sonoma. Greg, is it the track itself that's challenging or the mental switch for a driver breaking out of his or her routine? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. It's, it's you know, it's something different that, that we, we're just not, we didn't grow up doing. A lot of guys, a lot of oval track racers didn't grow up doing that. And, you know, you're used to that local Friday, Saturday night track, and then you get to race in these, you know, one mile, mile and a half, and two mile racetracks. So to go there 
and and have to you know mount your seat different and shift gears and use the brake and and not make any mistakes stay on the racetrack it's a it's a complicated thing it it sounds easy but i'm telling you it is a difficult thing for drivers to to race half a season and then go do this the good thing is is that we road race again not too very far after this uh which i think is a good thing for the sport and the drivers i i think you know personally speaking krista it wasn't that i didn't think i could drive the car it was that i didn't know what the car needed like what, what makes jimmy johnson so good is that when he drives in turn three in michigan and the car doesn't do what he wants it to do he immediately identifies that and he immediately communicates that with the crew chief. But when, you're not, when you don't have a feel for road racing, what is the car supposed to do? Why aren't I as fast as I need to be? Am I slow on the rights? Am I not getting in the corner deep enough? It's so difficult to identify what's not right. And I think that's the biggest challenge for young drivers going to a road course and, 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 and talking to their team. I mean, you, listen, I promise you, that every driver is going to say they need more rear grip leaving the corners, yeah. right? That's Every driver is going to say, I need more rear grip. Every driver is going to say, I need to turn better. It doesn't turn good enough. I need to stop better. It doesn't stop good enough. They're all going to say it. And it, by the way, every corner is different. Right. So you're like, the right's not the right, the left's not the left. <laughs> so, so it's so hard to identify, I need to be better here. And even when you send somebody up and, and they come back and they say, okay, here's the deal. You're getting beaten this corner. You don't know why. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the real problem comes in. Yeah, it's very difficult. And, it, you know, you go through a first gear corner and then you go through a third gear corner. So you're going through one at 50 miles an hour and then the next corner at 200 or 150. And you're like, well, what do I need in, in those different uh, corners? So that's challenging. And, and, and the two road courses that, that the NASCAR series, the Cup Series runs on, couldn't be any different. Yeah. Like, like Watkins Glen is the Daytona of of road courses. It is fast, high speed corners. There's certainly some slow corners, but it is fast. And then you go to Sonoma, and it's too small for a Cup car. Like it's yeah. left, right, left, right. Left. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. It's two completely different racetracks that take two completely different styles. And so you go to Sonoma, and you feel like, okay, I'm going to Watkins Glen, and then you have to drive the car different from one racetrack to the other. So. It's just a hard transition for young drivers. Yeah, I just think of the likes of, you know, like Eric Jones and Chase Elliott and, uh, you know, trying to get those first wins, and it'll be tough this weekend for sure. Yeah, I, I see those guys having big challenges. You know, we were talking about it off camera, uh, about some of the young guys that have run very well. Chase Elliott, you know, running in the top ten, and, and Eric Jones, and, you know, some of the other, Ryan Blaney. A lot of these guys have shown a lot of speed, have won races, should have won races, run in the top five, and now they're going to go there. It's, I'm curious to see how they're going to run making that transition to those, uh, you know, for not a lot of road course experience. You know what's good about it, Krista? What's that? Greg and I get to watch. That's, That's what I thought right. you were going to say. Yeah, so so we, we get to tell them what they did wrong as opposed to everybody telling us what we did wrong. So it's, it's good to be on this side of the fence. It's all come full circle. That's right. Well, the stars of the future will become regular guests of NASCAR America starting on July 5th because every Wednesday, NASCAR America will be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Each show will have our drivers along with a current cup or Xfinity driver showcasing their journey to NASCAR. I mean, where else can you see a Burton, a Petty, a Jarrett, and a rotating star of the sport? You need to tune in beginning July 5th. Coming up, the NHL and the NBA drafts are taking place this week, so we have decided to hold our very own NASCAR draft 
Jeff and Greg will each make their picks, but will it be based on past performances or future potential? The Pittsburgh Penguins are Stanley Cup champions again. I have a t-shirt to prove it, but hockey isn't done yet. Tonight at 8 Eastern, hockey's top stars are honored in the NHL Awards, plus the expansion draft for the all-new Vegas Golden Knights. Then on Friday at 6.30 Eastern, it's the 2017 NHL Draft from Chicago. Well, the NBA has its draft this week, too, which got us thinking, who would you draft for your dream team on wheels? So, guys, you own a four-car team. Who are your drivers? And this is a true draft. You can't pick the same driver. Once they're chosen, they're off the table. Jeff, we flipped a um, figurative coin. You're going first. I don't, I don't like that. Heads, I'm getting cheated. <laughs> I don't like that. All right, so my first pick, the first pick of the 2017 NBC draft is Jimmy Johnson, and I don't have to explain that pick. That's a no-brainer. Oh. That is a no-brainer. Everybody in the world okay. would make that the throw. Thank goodness going. he did not take my guy. I'm taking the hottest driver in NASCAR, Kyle Larson, is my first pick. Wow. See, I like that pick, but I wanted to go – I wanted experience first. He went youth first. I wanted experience first. So I got more wins than you this I, year. I, I, yeah, but I got seven championships uh, <laughs> and 80-something wins, 84, okay. I think. All right, so all right. you want to compare, we can compare. Okay. But, uh, so uh, my second pick, if, if I, get, I get to pick now, Krista? Yes, go ahead and make – so, yeah, the commissioner okay. – I'm sorry the commissioner is not here to, um, to run this draft, but go ahead, Jeff, I mean, your second yeah, pick. Yeah, you're supposed to walk out on the stage and say, you know, and now the second pick – Je third pick in the draft, Jeff Burton. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for that. Jeff Burton. Not going to uh, get it. Jeff Burton's team is, uh, is on the clock. Your second Thank pick. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I'm going with uh, Kevin Harvick. And I'm going with Kevin Harvick because I know that when the doors are shut and the meeting happens, he is going to be putting pressure on the, my general manager. He's going to be putting pressure on the crew chiefs. He's going to be putting pressure on the pit crews. I know that he's going to bring a level of intensity to my team to make sure everybody is always working when I'm not there. So Kevin Harvick, great race car driver. He's going to push everybody to make everybody as good as they can be. I want him on my team. All right. Well, you didn't pick my second place, guys, so thank goodness. I'm going with Martin Truex, driver of the number 78, wow. will be my second pick. And I like Martin. The, the team's consistent. He's a good driver, winning races. And unlike Jeff's team, my team is going to be a solid organization. I'm not going to need that driver, Kevin Harvick, to go in there and tell him what to do. I'm going to get it done for him. My drivers are going to be winning races. I'm All being right. controversial tonight. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so uh, Burton and Biffle, we are now up to uh, pick number three. Uh, the clock begins now. Jeff? So just so you know, Krista, I like putting people with type A personalities together and letting them fight it out. Like, <laughs> Here's all the same equipment. Go get you some and make them push each other. So the guy that I know is going to push my driver on the racetrack, even though he's a teammate, I'm going with Brad Keselowski. I know he can make lap time. I know he can go fast. I like the fact that he is engaged in the sport. He's, he, wants, he is more than just a race car driver. He wants to help move the sport forward. Uh, he's 100% focused on winning races at the same time. So I like his maturity level. Uh, and so Brad Keselowski, I know he can win championships. I know he can, can win races. By the way, my top three picks are all champions. So he doesn't have any champions on his team yet. Not yet, but the year's not over yet. So uh, I, like, my I third... like Greg's enthusiasm. Who have you got? That's Greg? right. 
That's right. Well, my third pick is a champion and is going to be a great rival with Jeff's team because I'm going to go with Kyle Busch as my third pick. Kyle is capable of winning races, championships. If he can keep his head on straight and focus on that race car, this guy can drive the wheels off it. I just got to give him the right car so he can get to victory lane. I like that pick. We might have to talk trade here in a little bit. Can we trade? Is that all? Can we trade? Uh, no, not, not at this moment. Not no, yet. no. We're, we and trade. and we first round is almost up, so you each have one more pick. All right. So, by the way, if my drivers, there's going to be a trade clause in my driver's contracts. That's that's how that's going to be. Okay. So, uh, uh, pick number four. I'm going young, but I'm going young with experience. I'm going Joey Logano. Oh. That was my guy. He is he is still young enough to take my my team well into the future, but he's had he has 18 wins. He's won the Daytona 500. He's contended for championships. He's lost that championship. He now knows how to win it. But he's young enough where he's going to take me into the future. And when my when Jimmy Johnson retires, I'm assuming he's going to be the first guy to retire. When he retires, I've got that foundation in which to build off of. Bring in another top A driver, an A level driver. But I'm going to build the future around Joey Logano. Okay, I'm going young with my last pick as well, and I'm going with Ryan Blaney. And from kind of the same camp, a teammate right now with Joey Logano, so it's interesting to see that, that uh, we're fairly aligned with our picks, but I think he's got a bright future ahead of him and uh, put him in the, in the right equipment. I feel he's in the right equipment, but staying in a competitive car, he's going to win a lot of races. Hey, Krista, you know what that noise is in the background? What's that? That's Roger Penske calling us because uh-huh. we took his entire group of drivers. Now he's got to go. He's got to go find three new dri- three new drivers, but paid it for him. Well, there's some surprises here. Let's go ahead and recap again. So this was the draft. Jeff Burton's four car team against Greg Biffle's four car team, and there you see. So uh, on paper, what's interesting to me, Jeff, you've got three champions. Greg, you only have one, but Greg has the youth because the two oldest guys in this mix are Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick, both at 41 years of age. So, I don't know, Greg Biffle may be setting up for the future, but I am surprised you left Kurt Busch a champion, Matt Kenseth a champion, um, Chase Elliott a young guy. You left them out there. Yeah, I mean, I was really thinking about uh, putting Matt Kenseth because I think those guys are are going to do good things the rest of the season. But I looked at – I looked at – I was going to do a long-term – you know, Rick Hendrick play, and I went with a couple of guys that got experience, but probably not as much, certainly not as much experience as Matt, but I think got enough experience to carry an organization, and that's why I went, you know, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex are young guys, but those guys got some years under their belt in this series, especially Martin, and, and I think they could carry uh, the organization. Yeah, I, I I struggle with the Chase Elliott thing. I want him on my I wanted him on my team, but I here's my my here's my logic, Krista. I know if Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick perform the way they know they that I know they can, when they get ready to retire, I got a line of drivers wanting those seats. So I want I want drivers in my race cars that are gonna make those cars go fast. And if they can't make those cars go fast, I know I gotta work on my race team. So if we have fast race cars, we have no problem recruiting drivers. That's not gonna be a problem. So I wanted to run fast right now. I wanted to, to take the next three years because I got to sign all my drivers to three year contracts. That's what they all expect. So I'm going to sign them a three year contract. How much are you going to pay them, Jeff? As little as possible. And, uh, and, and so, so, so then when they get done, those cars were fast, championship contending, and 
I'll have plenty of drivers that want to drive them. I can just picture people at home right now watching, going, yeah, I agree, no, 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 you know, yelling at their television right now. Notice we have no salary cap in any of this as well. So you guys are in, in good shape. That was a lot of fun. That was cool. That was fun. It was fun. It's, I was telling Jeff, I'm curious to see how it plays out through the season, kind of like a, you know, a fantasy team or whatever, oh, yeah. and, and, you know, do the points or something like that. That's way math over my head to try and figure all that out with, with these guys. But it'd be fun to see how they, how they do at the particular teams they're at. I like how you just signed me up for that. I'll put that You're in welcome. my um, things to keep track of. Notebook. It's actually we'll three years from now, Chris, to come back. Oh, and okay. Just, you know, like time capsule thing. You know, that, that'd be the way to do it. Yeah, you won't invite me to the shop over to Burton's Garage for a glass of wine, but you're going to have me do all your math. I see how this is. Don't take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, Sonoma Raceway serves up quite a few challenges for drivers and teams. What are the most difficult ones? It's tough to pick just a few. Our drivers have their list. They will share it next. Formula One is on NBCSN. Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton's race for the world championship continues by the sea. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix Sunday morning at 8 Eastern on NBCSN. This weekend, NASCAR makes its first stop of the season on a road course. The 12 turns of Sonoma take center stage where both drivers and their teams have their work cut out for them. And that's exactly how Landon Castle sort of feels about the whole thing. This is the t a tweet that he sent out. It's his own personal map of Sonoma. Uh, I don't know if you can read his writing, but he's basically saying things like, turn 4A, I don't remember. Here's where I can't see. Yeah, this next turn I still can't see. Um, so I don't know how much of a, a race day help this is, but it's very entertaining. So I, I guess, Jeff, Greg, the question, I mean, how accurate is that? Um, what's the, the, the most difficult or challenging part of Sonoma? It's, it's when you get on the racetrack. <laughs> I mean, it's all good till that. It, it's just, you know, there's so much elevation change. It's, you know, uphill, downhill, tight corners, heavy braking. It's, it is a really challenging racetrack. Uh, I think the thing that causes the most problem, though, is the restarts. I, you know, I, I became infuriated with restarts. I, I, it, it's like when you go to Sonoma, uh, drivers run into each other and they say, ah, it's a racetrack's fault. Like, you know... And, and everybody gives them a buy, and restarts are just crazy. And so you sit there and you run all day, and you think you're having a good day, and coming with five to go, and you finish 35th, and and nothing of your fault. So uh, that's the thing that always made me the maddest about it is just restarts and and drivers. Uh, they call them mistakes. I always question whether they really were or not because. Of, they seem to me to be pretty avoidable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really difficult. One of the most difficult things that I learned about Sonoma showing up there is I didn't have my seat up high enough in the race car. So, you know, a lot it has a lot of uh, track going away from you. So as you come up over the rise in the racetrack, there's a long period of time before the race car kind of is chasing that grade to where you can see the racetrack. And so I sit about an inch, inch and a quarter higher in the race car 
on in Sonoma than I do Watkins Glen, just so I can see the downhill and see where the racetrack's at. The other thing, like Jeff said, the restarts. There, you know, if you could picture a speed bump in a parking lot and a line of cars, well, everybody's got to slow down to go over it, and then they take off. That's exactly how one of these slow first gear corners are. Well, you can always fan out and all get there at the same time. The problem is only one or two cars will fit around that corner. And so what happens is you got cars going everywhere because everybody wants to drive up there and try and muscle their way through and gain a position or two. Fenders get knocked in. Tires get cut. Then they get down to the higher speed corners and try and go through there side by side and touch together. And you, like you saw on the footage, they're, they're straight off the track. So restarts are chaotic. And, and drivers like us love when they start to get strung out. Then you can start passing guys and, and making up position. But um, restarts are always hectic. I know the fans love them because that's where all the action is. What's really fun is to watch a young driver that's never raced there before on the initial green flag because, you know, everybody takes off, changing gears going, you go up this hill, and there's a 90-degree corner, heavy braking, and so if you're in row 10, you're going up the hill at about 6 miles an hour. And, I mean, it is you have to stop all day, all weekend long. You've been practicing, sailing up that hill changing gears, I mean, digging, and then they drop the green flag on a race, and you don't, you have no perspective of how slow you have to be to keep from running into the guy and how early you have to lift. It is unbelievable. It's like a, a, a chain reaction on the interstate, yep. except in race cars. And young drivers, you can't tell them how slow it's going to get. They have to experience it for themselves. The image now is uh, you guys all in your cars laughing at the young driver as you wait uh, for that green flag. That's sort of what I'm picturing. Uh, let's take a look at the weekend schedule. The Truck Series kicks things off from Iowa on Friday at 8.30 Eastern. Then Xfinity hits the track on Saturday, also at Iowa. And the green flag drops for the Cup Series at Sonoma at 3 Eastern on Sunday. All races are on FS1, but if you're heading to the track, kids 12 and under are free at all NASCAR Xfinity and Truck Series races. Visit NASCAR.com slash kids ticks for more information. Coming up, we will go coast to coast on the 50 States and 50 Shows Tour. First, we'll head to Washington, a place Greg Biffle knows a thing or two about. Then we'll head to West Virginia and a short track once owned by Dick Clark. Got to stick around for that. This day in NASCAR history, in 2009, Casey Kane takes the checkered flag at Sonoma in overtime to record his first Cup Series victory on a road course. It also marked the first win as an organization for Richard Petty Motorsports. So Casey and the King gathered in victory lane for the celebratory glass of wine. Our 50 States in 50 Shows tour continues today in Casey Kane's home state. Washington, the only state to be named after a U.S. president. The state is home to some of the world's most successful companies like Microsoft, uh, Amazon.com, and Starbucks. And in the mid-1980s, a new sound called grunge emerged from the Seattle area with acts like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Uh, Pearl Jam's uh, Eddie Vedder, a big NASCAR fan, he was a special guest at the awards banquet last year. So today's featured track is Deming Speedway, located in the northern part of the state, just 15 miles from the Canadian border. This sixth of a mile dirt track officially opened in 1982. Races are held there nearly every Friday night from April through September. Washington's own Casey Kane began his racing career there at the age of 14 in the junior sprint division. And that same division now bears his name. Since 1985, the track's signature event 
has been the Clay Cup. This year's Clay Cup will be held over three days beginning July 13th and boasts one of the largest purses for micro sprints at over $51,000. And it's perfect that we have Greg Biffle with us today, uh, a native of Washington. Several big-name drivers have come from this, your state. Uh, so what's the racing scene like up there, Greg? Well, when it's not raining, it's pretty good. <laughs> it rains a lot in the Northwest, and uh, there, there's a lot of cool racetracks up there. You know, Skagit, which a lot of these drivers came uh, through. They raced sprint cars there. Uh, Grays Harbor Speedway, uh, a track I was involved with. And then, of course, Monroe Speedway, where uh, the trucks have, have raced in uh, South Sound. A lot of great racetracks in the Northwest. But, you know, if you can dodge the raindrops, uh, you know, the season really doesn't get started till mid to late April. And I remember raining out eight weeks in a row at the beginning of the season. If you can imagine that, uh, we had a lot of makeup races, but uh, a lot of great racetracks in the state of Washington. I can't believe that eight weeks in a row rainouts. That's awesome. I mean, not eight for a driver, a but that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, to complete. Needless to say, I had my car ready. I you bet. know, you're never ready for the start of the season, right? So eight weeks into the season, we were still, like, fine-tuning, and we could find stuff that we weren't quite done with. But, uh, yeah, eight weeks, it's a record. See, there's always a silver lining to that rain cloud. Well, to complete our My Home Track twofer, we're going more than 2,500 miles east to West Virginia. Nearly 80% of West Virginia is forested. The town of Greenbank has the world's largest fully steerable telescope. And because of that, residents of the town can't use wireless devices. Can you imagine the horror? Another famous structure in the state is the new River Gorge Bridge. And we can't talk West Virginia without mentioning John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads, which became an official state song in 2014. West Virginia state capital is Charleston. Less than an hour west of there, our second home track of the day, Ona Speedway. Ona, a 3 8 mile oval that bills itself as the only asphalt oval in the state. Wow, the track has had several names through its history, which includes four Cup Series races during the 60s and 70s. Fred Lorenzen won the first race, and fellow Hall of Famer Richard Petty won the other three. Ona also has a link to an entertainment icon. Among its past operators was Dick Clark. Yes, the Dick Clark of New Year's Eve and American Bandstand fame. Today, the track is run by Scott Pearson and his family. Scott and his son, Scott Jr., also race at Ona in several classes. A two for today. Well, tomorrow, we are making our final stops on our 50 states and 50 shows. We head to the Badger State of Wisconsin and the Wilderness of Wyoming. What are the chances that I've drank beer in both of those states? Pretty high, right? Okay, we will take a look back on some of the most memorable moments along the way, which will be full of snakes, bears, cows... <laughs> Snakes, bears, and cows, oh my. And some very odd racing. And speaking of memorable moments, up next we will look at the top five from Sonoma, which includes flips, controversy, cows, bears, and no, I'm just kidding, questionable decisions. The Verizon IndyCar Series is on NBCSN. As the title race heats up, IndyCar goes into the Wisconsin woods. The Kohler Grand Prix at Road America, Sunday at 1230 Eastern on NBCSN. And someone who knows a lot about racing at Road America is Max Pappas. He recently joined Nate Ryan on the NASCAR on NBC podcast to discuss his latest venture in motorsports. 
obviously is a, Jimmy's an innovator he's always ahead of the curve in doesn't matter if it is a safety training or whatever right if I, something can give him an edge he's on it and I felt I said you know like maybe this can save uh, Jimmy Johnson from being out of the car for a race can save him money can give him better opportunity for performing and everything started from there and I remember that step by step and now people in HMS start to really look at what he was doing what he was using and other people all the other teammates start using the product and we went from having few product in the garage built by a manufacturer to actually start our own steering wheel MPI and we arrived this year at the Daytona 500 with every single cup car using an MPI steering That's wheel. amazing. Wow. And I'm just amazed of, uh, you know, how a dream can come through and uh, servicing the sport, you know, providing better safety can lead into something that uh, he developed, uh, you know, it led into creating a business. This is a true American dream. Wow, I love that. You'll not find a nicer or more energetic guy than Max Pappas. He will be with us as a special guest on tomorrow's NASCAR America. We will also talk with truck series driver John Hunter Nemechek following his emotional victory this past weekend. And as we head to Sonoma, Parker hops in the iRacing simulator to show us the secrets of winning in wine country. Okay, let's take a look at our top five moments from Sonoma. We start with 1995. Uh, Greg, I'm going to throw this one to you. Dale Earnhardt passes Mark Martin with two to go. Well, I'll tell you what, Dale Earnhardt sure knew how to road race, and him and Mark had some great races. I was later a teammate with Mark Martin. Number four, 1999, Jeff. Yeah, this was a uh, violent wreck by Steve Park. Uh, then, believe it or not, that's a pretty dramatic wreck. It happened again in the same race. So, Kenny Schrader in the same place, he flipped over. So, after this, the racetrack made some changes, uh, made the track safer in that area. Wow, deja vu, yeah, 1999. Our third moment is 1991. Jeff, Ricky Rudd, and Davey Allison. Yeah, they actually black flagged uh, Ricky Rudd and uh, gave the win to Davey Allison, something you don't see very much of. So uh, actually penalized Dave, actually penalized Ricky for rough driving, and Davey Allison ended up the winner. Okay, if 1991 was controversy, then 2010 had to be heartbreak, Greg, for Marcus Ambrose. Yeah, I remember this, you know, going by him. He, he shut the engine off to try and save fuel. They were a little bit short on fuel. We were on the same strategy, and he didn't keep up with the pace car, and so they penalized him and put him back. That was his race-winning uh, uh, chance right there. Uh, yeah, so heartbreaking. And then pure elation last year. We showed you this earlier in the show. Tony Stewart and Denny Hamlin, the final lap, uh, nearly the final turn, and smoke returns to victory lane. Yeah, well, it's such a good race. You know, this is an example of, uh, you know, what if you put Tony Stewart in that opportunity to win? He really hadn't been very competitive, but as soon as, as, soon as they put him in the win, those competitive juices came out, and uh, he gave everything. And then, you know, Denny Hamlin overdriving the last corner because he was afraid Tony was going to get into him and open the door. That was a uh, that was a crazy race, one that Denny Hamlin's relived many, many times, I'm sure. Yeah, I bet so. And I'm so glad to see Tony Stewart get back in there because I was with him when in the, in the desert when he hurt his back and, and missed all those races. So it was exciting to see Tony, what he went through, and to be able to come back and win there. Uh, and, you know, just watching, I mean, what's funny is, you know, we've had a 90-minute show. We've shown some different clips uh, of that moment. But then just watching that again, seeing Tony's pure emotion, you sort of get chills getting to relive it all over again. 
Yeah, I, I think you really got to go back and think about it because he didn't have the fastest car. I mean, right. there was no question Denny Hamlin was faster, and he just kept holding Denny off, kept holding him off. He made a little mistake. Denny pranced on it, took that spot, and then Denny, he just like, oh, no, you know, Tony has nothing to lose here. He's going to run over me. He just missed that corner. And uh, a lot of people have never raced there before like, how, you know, how does that happen? But, listen, when you're worried about that guy behind you, you overdrive that corner just a little bit, you, it's very easy to make that mistake. Yeah, it is. Hey, if you guys think we talked about wine a lot today, Steve Latart and DJ on the show tomorrow. Yeah, we may mention a Pinot or two tomorrow. And don't forget, starting the week of July 3rd, NASCAR America moves to a special new time of 5 p.m. Eastern. That starts July 3rd. That will do it for us. We are back again tomorrow at 5.30 Eastern. For the latest news, check out NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. We'll see you again tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.